Welcome to Grace Covenant Church, D.C. You're listening to our weekly sermon podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this message. Good morning. We're going to get right in it. We're continuing our series, uh, The Emotionally Healthy Church. I presented a book last week uh, by Pete Scazzaro. He and his wife, Jerry, pastor a church in New York. And out of a painful experience, they produce seven principles that are very important uh, for being healthy emotionally. How many enjoyed last week? So last week we went in the first principle, which is looking beneath the surface. Uh, It's online podcast. You can see it to catch up. And we're going to go deeper. So last week we had a moment where we focused on looking beneath the surface, how important it is. The iceberg, 10% of its mass is above the surface of the water, 90% below, and how God wants us to lean in with him in order to uh, go to the 90% where he wants us to wrestle with things that have been a pattern in our own lives that he wants us to experience freedom. As we were worshiping this morning in song, I was so encouraged that God wants us to experience the fullness of freedom, right? His death on the cross was not for a partial freedom. It was for full freedom. Amen? And so, Looking beneath the surface applies to our lives, but as you begin to look beneath the surface, you recognize that the sin patterns in our lives are generational. So the deceit in Jacob's life did not begin with Jacob. He got it honest, right? Jacob means deceiver. He wrestled with God. He received a blessing. He overcame some deceit in his life, and what happens in his life then becomes beneficial for the generation coming after him. How many of you want your line to be blessed? Coming down our lines, there's so many things. We want the blessing to continue without interruption, but we want the sin patterns to be things that are crushed in our lives so that years from now, uh, your, your descendants will not have to carry baggage that you chose to unload. So Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning that you have accomplished a great work in us. Christ, I thank you that you crushed the enemy on the cross. You have crushed him under our feet so that we can live in freedom. I pray that you would help us to lean in with you and not be fearful of facing things in our lives, things in our line, but to lean in with you without condemnation, with the recognition that you actually want your redemption to be applied there as well. Amen. All right. With that said... Keep in mind that the book, again, The Emotionally Healthy Church, his primary uh, a theme throughout the book is that emotional uh, maturity and spiritual maturity are inseparable. That is, it is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature or emotionally unhealthy. They're, they're not to be separated, right? Your emotions are a part of you. Your intellect are a part of you. Your spiritual, emotional, physical, you're all of it. And so we don't need to somehow neglect some aspect of who we are while favoring another aspect. It's kind of like going into the gym and only working on your biceps and never doing anything for your legs. You become an interesting caricature. So (laughs) here are some of the questions. And be sensitive to where the Holy Spirit's at work in you because in a moment like this, he may bring to your mind things which you would rather not. But he brings it As a loving father who's saying, I want to remove that from you because there's a freedom. There's a way you can walk and run that will allow you to experience something in me you haven't to date, right? Imagine an athlete 
with their shoestrings tied, both shoes together. They're not going to have their best. Your best life is about experiencing freedom from things from your past. So here's some of the questions. There's about 13 he asks. I'm only going to read a handful. Describe your parents or caretakers and grandparents' marriages. How was conflict handled in your extended family over two to three generations? Anger, gender roles. Another question. What were some generational themes? For example, addictions, affairs, losses, abuse, divorce, depression, mental illness, abortions, children born out of wedlock, etc. Here's another one. How well did your family do in talking about feelings? Mm -hmm. You can hear it in the room, right? Were there any family secrets, such as a pregnancy out of wedlock, incest, or major financial scandal? What was considered success in your family? Uh, how was money handled? Holidays, spirituality, relationships with extended family. Another question. Were there traumatic losses in the past or present, such as sudden death, prolonged illnesses, stillbirths, miscarriages, bankruptcy, or divorce? How about anybody here say, yep, there was something on that list. Yeah, right? So this is true. So how do we address these things, and why are they even there? So there's a scripture I would like to read at this point. And in fact, let me read a quote from the book. In emotionally healthy churches, people understand how their past affects their present ability to love Christ and others. Numerous external forces may shape us, but the family we have grown up in is the primary and, except in rare instances, the most powerful system that will shape and influence who we are. That's significant, isn't it? All right. So last week we talked about Jacob. But Jacob is part of a family line. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Oh, I know. I'm doing it for my way. Let's start over here. Abraham, Joseph, right. And actually, it's not just Joseph, right? It's 12 sons. Benjamin, Simeon, all of them. So they became the 12 tribes, the people of Israel. So one of the things he points out is that you can see. Now, remember, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and on down. This is a line that is favored by God, blessed by God, loved by God, yet not without issues, not without sinful patterns. This is so important to recognize that somehow we think that if there are issues in my life, I can't be blessed. That's not the case. There may be simple patterns that have persisted that God says, there's blessing coming down your line, but there are other things that are on your line too that we want to end with you. And it takes someone to have a level of awareness to lean in with God and say, it stops with me. It, it, it ends here. This won't show up 300 years from now unless someone chooses in my line to return to it, right? But they won't be born uh, in, 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 in terms of being a slave to it. Is this making sense? So remember, they're so blessed that when God appears to Moses in the burning bush, everybody remember that moment? And Moses has not a sense of what's going on in the burning bush moment. And God tells him to take off his sandals because the place where he's standing is... Exactly. I love these Bible readers in here. And he then, Moses still doesn't know what's going on. And so he has to introduce himself to Moses by saying, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
and he fell prostrate before God because he recognized these patriarchs and who they are to the entire nation. So they're blessed and loved by God. Now, let's keep that in play while recognizing there were also sin patterns coming down that line also. So when we talk about what's going on in Jacob's life, he didn't start there alone. He got it honest. So some of the patterns that came down were lying that came down the line. So it makes sense that Jacob was a deceiver. Uh, Another sin pattern that came down was favoring one child over another or over the rest. Another one was sibling rivalry. Anybody ever experienced sibling rivalry? Yeah, raise their hand, right? Me too. Sibling rivalry. And and, uh, not only that, relational cutoff among those siblings. So, for example, with Abraham, you have Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac and Ishmael were separated. Isaac was the favorite, right? And Abraham loved Ishmael. Sarah said, no, it's Isaac. They got separated. Today, there are warring factions in the Middle East today. That goes back. Generationally, the things you're doing today will play out down the road. So there's that. The next generation, Isaac have Jacob and Esau. And we see the issues between Jacob and Esau. Sibling rivalry, they're separated. Then you come down to uh, Jacob having his 12 sons, and they could not speak a kind word to their brother Joseph. So what did they do? They faked his death. Do you know what it's like for 10 siblings to fake the death of a sibling? To take his clothing and then kill an animal to make it bloody, to tear it up, then to show dad? They went to the wake, the funeral, sat there and mourned, and the whole thing was fake. That's generationally a problem coming down the line. What's come down your line that you have an awareness of that you need to address? We all on the same page? All right. How and why does this happen? Exodus 20, verse 5 and 6. This is God speaking to Moses about his heart for the people and giving them instruction in how they are to live. He says, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. What kind of God is God? Jealous. You ever been jealous? Jealousy is not a bad thing. If it's godly jealousy. It means strong desire for what is rightfully yours. Desire for something that belongs to somebody else is not good. That's coveting. Jealousy is strong. I'm jealous for my wife with godly jealousy. So if anybody, even when we were engaged, I remember we were at some event. I was on one side of the room. She was on another side of the room, social moment. And some guy walked up, and he was just a little too smooth. He had a lot of swag. And I just caught it out my periphery. So I just kind of slowly, hold up, hold up. Walked over, just stood next to her. And he looked at me. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Godly jealousy, right? And the brother said, thank you. Thank you, brothers. And the women like, oh, I'm loved and covered. Thank you. Did you meet my... So he says, for I, the Lord God, am a jealous God. Who's God jealous for? He will not accept your affection for another. Mm, Enough said. He says, I'm a jealous God. And punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Aren't you glad that the generational 
love of God goes, extends much further than the curse. He has limited the curse to three to four generations, whereas the blessing goes thousands. The only way the curse is perpetuated is if in the fourth generation, you just keep it going by your choice, not his. Make sense? All right, this is important. Here's how people in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament understood and prayed and how this is a note. Write this down on your heart, if nowhere else, to begin to practice this. Oftentimes we pray to God, asking him for things, at times confessing sin, but there are times when you need to confess, and it's not just something that is relegated to you, but it's your line. So in Lamentations 5.7, here's an example. Our ancestors sinned and are no more, and we bear their punishment. So if we are living as a result, experiencing consequences of the sins of our forefathers, then we need to pray in a particular way. Nehemiah is one of many examples. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Nehemiah has just received word that his homeland, the people living there, Everything's been destroyed. The gates have been burned with fire and the walls have been broken down and the people are just demoralized. And when word reached him, like if your loved one had a tragic event, you would be broken by it, moved by it, disturbed. So in this moment, he begins to cry and mourn, weep, and then he starts to pray and fast. Make sure your crying and mourning and weeping moves to fasting and praying. Don't just stop at mourning or weeping. Move to praying and fasting because that's like tag-teaming the Holy Spirit to bring his presence and power into that situation. He says this, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant, servant referring to himself, Nehemiah, is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Watch this. I confess the sins we, Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. Did you catch that? He's, con- he's understanding that the sin pattern didn't just begin with him. It's generational. So in confessing sin, he says, me and my fathers have, con- have committed sin against you, God. He goes on and says, we have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations. But if you return, thank God you can return. Somebody, come on. Aren't you glad you can come back? If you return, if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. Isn't that great? So God and all throughout the Bible, you see people making intercession and praying and confessing not only their sins, but the sins of their family. Are, is there a level of awareness of the sins in your family? How, how, how far back can you see in your parents and generation a pattern that's come down? How some sin, some choice gave place to sin, and then that sin became a pattern, and it hasn't been disruptive. This is what we want to address. God's bringing things up in your heart even as we're sitting here. So we're talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob afterwards. And last week, we focused primarily on Jacob. But like I said, Jacob wasn't just a deceiver because he was an aberration in his family. No, it was increasing. The pattern not only continued, but it also increased. It became greater. So here's what you need to see in their lives. So if we go back up, Jacob, who's before Jacob? And before Isaac? 
So let's see if there's anything in Abraham's life that helps us understand what was going on in Jacob's life that we talked about last week. So I'm going to read to you scripture from Genesis. Give me a moment. Okay, Genesis 20, verses 11 through 13. Abraham and Sarah, great people, man and woman of faith, friend of God, love them. Say they're good people, godly people. Now listen to this. Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is truly no fear of God in this place. The place was Gerar. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. And all the wives said, nothing. <laughs> Let's understand. Abraham and Sarah, along with Lot, set out from his father's household. They didn't jet set across the country like we do. You grew up four generations all living in the same place. He only left because God directed him to go. But he knew something that was practiced in his day. If a man had a beautiful wife and they wanted her, they just killed the husband. So he thought to himself, now, aware that someone's going to might kill you, that people actually kill, your, kill you because they want your beautiful wife, that would produce a level of fear in you. Fear would assault you. The spirit of fear would try to come on you, right? Which doesn't come from God. So when that thought came, he did not take it captive. One of the things we must practice as believers is taking captive every thought that tries to exalt itself above the knowledge of God's word and truth. The way you do that is not by saying, I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to think about purple elephants. I'm not going to think about purple elephants. I'm not going to think about purple elephants. What are you thinking about? Purple elephants. That's not how you take thoughts captive. You take thoughts captive by bringing them and making them subject to the truth God spoke to you and reminding yourself that you're living by faith, not by what you see. So even though I see this practice in the culture, because God has spoken some things in his word with clarity and conviction, I'm living by what I cannot see with my eyes, but faith is the substance of things hoped for. So my hope and faith is in God, not in what I'm seeing around me. He didn't, he and his wife didn't take that thought captive. So he literally, they moved to Gerard, this place, he's like, they killed they kill, uh, husbands. So he talked to Sarah, said, Sarah, look, baby, you love me, right? Yeah, you know I love you. All right, so this, this is what we're going to do, right? I don't know how long we're going to live here. Just, just tell them, just tell them we're brother and sister. Women, if your husband said, just say you're my sister, how, how are you feeling about that? No, right? No. So here's the moment. So they go there and they say that. What he should have been holding or taking that thought captive to was that God says, go from your father's house. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation, build a great family out of you. And those who bless you, I will bless those who curse you. I will curse. That's the truth that God spoke. So if you hold on to that truth, then you go, they can't kill my wife because I'm blessed. Are you with me? 
But if you don't have that truth in that moment, there's a, that is the fight every day. That is the tension between holding on to the word of God and not letting it go or give in to what's going on in the environment. If everybody gets robbed on Metro, then you step on Metro and you're like, ooh. But if God gave you a word that says, you will ride Metro all the days of your life, you will own Metro, <laughs> Metro will actually give you $10 million, then you shouldn't be going on, I'm scared. You get my point? All right, it's a ridiculous analogy. I think. All right. So Abraham then has who? Isaac. All right. This is Genesis 26, 1 and 9. Now this is Isaac, his son. Now there was famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Ambevelech king, the Philistines, and Jerob. The land appeared to Isaac. Uh, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in the land for a while, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give uh, all these lands and will confirm the oath. I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars. What's he saying? As numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all the, the lands. And through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands and my decrees and my, and my instructions. Verse 6, so Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my, say it loud, she is my, thank you. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really she is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. See, the same thought that his father did not take captive, which led to them acting like they were brother and sister, which creates tension in their relationship. There's a level of deceit that they're having in themselves, right? Now, Isaac growing up in the same house gets married and does the same thing. Now, help me so I don't forget this. There are two things I need to say here. One thing that did not get passed down and one thing that did happen as a result. The one thing that did not get passed down is that when Abraham and Sarah lived in the land for 10 years and had no children, Sarah said, God has kept me from having kids. He didn't keep her from, he kept her for. But she thought God had kept him from and as a result said, Take my female servant, Hagar, have relations with her, and let's build a family that way because God spoke the word. It's one thing to have a word of God. It's another thing for you to just kind of help it along. So that wasn't God's idea. It produced an Ishmael. All the warring today in the Middle East, one decision, one decision. How's one decision going to affect your line? Now, they then had... Uh, so after 10 years, they couldn't have a kid. So they bring Hagar into it, and that creates all kinds of dysfunction. May God take the dis out of all of our function and give us unction to function. So Abraham taught his boy. Now, look, let me tell you what happened with me and your mama and Hagar. You can't have, it was her idea. I should have said no. And then she said it was my fault that Hagar was acting. So it was just drama. You don't need to watch soap operas, right? 
Hagar walking around with a baby, looking at Sarah like, your man had, it's it's ugly. It's ugly on massive levels. It's changed the channel. Why is that show still on? Next person, do you want to find if your boyfriend has, you know, it's crazy, those shows. So what did, so when Isaac got married, he was 40 years old. It took 20 years to have a baby. He prayed, but you know what he did? There was no Hagar. Woo! Make sure you move something out of your line that your kids won't have to go through. Make sure they understand the conflict and how this went down and what we had to pay and the price. You don't want to repeat this, son. Learn from wisdom, not from experience. Experience is learning from your own mistakes. Wisdom is learning from somebody else's. Both are good teachers. One will pay you more. One will cost you more. Wisdom pays. Experience charges. So that Hagar thing didn't get passed down. But the say your sister thing, they didn't work that out. Are you with me? So they had the same place. Now, Isaac, when he was an old man, vision, visually impaired, was ready to bless Esau. His wife deceives him by getting her son Jacob to go pretend like he's Esau. How, and you look at, how could she do that to her husband? Why would she deceive her husband and make her husband give the blessing to Jacob instead of Esau because he's blind and can't see? That's just wrong. I don't fault her. He started it way back when he said, say you're my sister. Don't think that the deceit you all hold together and produce on the world doesn't affect you. It didn't start out there. It started in your house. And just because you exercise out of your house doesn't mean it won't have an effect back on your house. Are you with me? So that's going on. And still, Isaac didn't start it. It goes back to Abraham. Can you see how things have come down your line? All right. There's so much more here today. And I'm moving fast because I'm trying to get to some other points. In my own line, I have become aware of things that were affecting my life from birth on that I had no clue about. By the time I was 17, and I was raised in a Christian home, taught, wait till you get married, and my whole life growing up, I'm going to wait till I'm going to get married, I'm going to wait till I get married, I'm going to wait till I get married. Marriage is a starting point for those relationships. And 17, sorry, I went way left. And my firstborn was born out of wedlock. In fact, I never married his mom. Never. My wife has raised our son John, as if we're her own son. He moved back and forth between North Carolina and D.C. until he came to live with us. His mom is now part of our Every Nation Church in North Carolina. Whole miracle how that all happened. And she's married, and they come to our house for Thanksgiving. It's crazy, but it's great. No smell of smoke, no fire. We're like, wow, how is that possible? Because God redeems. Now, don't go make a phone call and invite people over if God didn't do it. Just <laughs> you asking for it. You're like, well, my pastor did this. God did it. I didn't do that. God made that happen. And it was very difficult in the early years because she forgave me immediately. But walking through the tension of my neglect of her, our son, and her having to raise him alone and me not caring anything about them, that was hard. Now, I didn't know when I was two years of age, walking around as a toddler in a Christian home, that illegitimacy was coming down my line. I thought my sin at 17 was just my own sin. And it is my own sin, but it is in the context of my family line. My dad and my mom conceived me without being married. They were married by the time I was born. My dad, who is the son of William Simpson, 
and Queen Esther Jones. So he took his mama's name, not his daddy's name, because he has multiple siblings and none of them were married to his mom. They all have different dads. I can go back a few generations and realize it was coming after me all along. The amazing thing is you can be a believer, you can be loving God, you can be worshiping, and on Sunday, how you doing? I'm doing good. And yes, you are good on the surface, but God wants you to lean in with him and go beneath the surface and address the long-standing sinful patterns so you can be free all the way. Somebody get excited. You don't have to be the mallard duck. Young lady uh, mentioned this to me uh, just the other day. The duck on top is just floating smooth, but underwater, feet just going like this. And so many Christians on top, you good? I'm good. You look smooth. But underneath, you are struggling because of the sin patterns that are still coming down. And God is like crushing and pounding the enemy under your feet so you don't have to live like that anymore. But the shame is that you don't talk about it so you don't get free from it. God brings it up not to condemn you, to get you out of it. I don't have to walk in, and I don't have to hate the generation before me for what they do. This is not Black Panther. You are wrong. All of you are wrong. <laughs> T'Challa, he goes back, and he confronts his ancestors. You, you are all wrong. The whole of you are wrong. And he just goes off on them. The, why did you not, Father, why did you not bring the boy? I had to keep up the appearances, you know. And he's just like, we had to maintain the, the lie. The lie you maintain will destroy your line. Expose it. You need to go back and sit down with your parents. You know, all, the, all those families, you, there's that thing in the moment at dinner every year, like an and uncle, and we don't talk about uncle. So what, what, who is he? Why won't we talk about why he's not around anymore? And what happened? We don't talk about that. We're suppressing our shame. And we're suffering the consequences even in our physical health. Illegitimacy ran down my line. May the grace of God say it ends with me. I did it wrong with my son's mom, but God changed me by the time I met my current wife. Our first kiss was when we got married. I don't say that to say anything except you should have been at Revealed because some people kiss during their courtship and some people don't kiss during their courtship, and it was a wonderful moment. We didn't kiss because it wasn't going to be good for me because I knew what my line was like. Now, if you put a bottle of vodka in front of me, it doesn't move me. I've never drank alcohol. Didn't need it. Wasn't in my line. But when it came to how to relate to a woman properly, I better stay out the bar. Amen. So when I got saved at 20, Mary Ann said, said hello to me one Sunday. I looked at her, stood up, and walked away. <laughs> because if I say hello, I know where it's going. I just got born again two months ago. I ain't that strong. And on top of that, my flesh will never, ever be strong enough. Don't think you've arrived. So to this day, I have certain boundaries which aren't Bible, but just prudent. Don't live with, is it wrong? Live with, is it prudent? I'm in bounds, pastor. I'm in bounds. I'm on the line, but I'm in bounds. Yep. God help if the breeze comes. I'm going to stand over here. So if I get blown back, whew, I'm still good. But if you're on the line and you get blown back, you have a day and you wake up and you mad, God help you if you were standing on the line. Athletes don't 
run to the line. They run to the hoop. Uh, okay. Y'all taking up my time. So you see how that came down the line? Okay. The, the issue is with Black Panther, he was accusing his fathers, but that's not playing into your freedom. When I was young, I faulted my dad for his absence. Because you were not here, therefore. And God said, you are using that to prevent growth in your life. Because you're saying, I'm not big enough to move you forward beyond your father's failures. So he broke me down. I wept in my 20s. And I, for the first time, forgave my earthly dad for failing to be there. And how could he when William Simpson, his father, was not there? And who knows what happened before William Simpson? So there's no power in holding something against them. There's only power in releasing them. So I love Morris Jones because I wouldn't be here without him. And he did what he could. He didn't have somebody pastoring him like I did. That snatched me out of my line stuff. Now I got to keep going back because there's other stuff in my line. It's not just illegitimacy. So... There's no, there's no perfect people here. We have to, as a church, learn to live with our imperfections and not say, I'm good, and act as if there isn't something there. Because when you get into a small group or you're serving on a team and five of y'all having a conversation, there's conflict, it's not just the five of you. It's all your lines showing up in that conversation. You come from a line where people are just argumentative to the point of physical harm, and now you're on a serve team, and you just buck. And they're like... Wait, are you saved? What are you doing? And you're like, I don't even think they're saved. They're saved, but there's stuff in their line that hasn't been uprooted. So it's not enough that you pray to prayer and you ask God to forgive you. Salvation is the starting point, but then he goes deep and he has to uproot, put his foot on it, hold still. Ugh. And it's painful to go there. But then afterwards you can lift your hands and you're like, I couldn't do that before. Do you want to live with a disability in the spirit, emotionally, or do you want to be free? And if you have it, you're going to pass it on to your kids. And then when your kids start acting, you'd be like, where the, you, we look at our kids, we got to go, oh, I know where that came from. <laughs> they got it on us. But then that predisposes you to have compassion to how you care for them. Is this helpful? Okay. So, uh, we've come down with them, right? So, here's what he said. Assuming each of my children marries and has children, and that continues on, and that each of them lives to 80 years of age, the influences of my choices today will continue at least to A.D. 2318. That's four generations. The choices we're making today will have an impact four generations. And if you live to be 80 and your kids, that's 320 years. Can you imagine when you are in a challenging moment right now, don't make the decision about you. Make it about God and 300 years from now. They'll thank you that you chose to unload some baggage in your generation. Though it was difficult to lean in, they don't have to carry that baggage 300 years from now. Woo! Jesus crushed the devil so the baggage could all be gone. Not just so you could be saved but so you can live in the freedom, in the expanse of the kingdom, untied, unfettered, nothing ungodly on your line. Jesus said, the enemy has come after me, and he's got nothing in me 
May we be able to say, it's only a little bit he got in my line because we've done a lot of sweeping out of stuff. Okay, you need some encouragement. I can tell by the look on your faces. There's, there's this show called uh, This Is Us. Anybody seen it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, so I'm going to close on that. So first of all, Miss Multigenerational Legacies. Here's something you can look up online. The story of the Edwards, Jonathan Edwards and the Jukes. Jonathan Edwards was a Puritan preacher in the 1700s. He was one of the most respected preachers in his day. He attended Yale at the age of 13 and later went on to become the president of Princeton College. He married his wife, Sarah, in 1727, and they were blessed with 11 children. Come on. Every night when Mr. Edwards was home, he would spend an hour conversing with his family and then praying a blessing over each child. Jonathan and his wife, Sarah, passed on a great godly legacy to their 11 children. An American educator, A.E. Winship, dedicated to trace the descendants of Jonathan Edwards almost 150 years after his death. His findings are remarkable, especially when compared to another man from the same time period known as Max Jukes. So the Edwards and the Jukes. Jonathan Edwards' legacy includes one U.S. vice president, one dean of a law school, one dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 pastors, and 285 college graduates. Show your love for the Edwards. Max Jukes' legacy came to people's attention when the family trees of 42 different men in the New York prison system were traced back to him. He lived in New York at about the same period as Edwards. The Jukes family originally was studied by sociologist Richard L. Dugdale in 1877. Jukes' descendants included seven murderers, 60 thieves, 190 prostitutes, 150 other convicts, 310 paupers, and 440 who were physically wrecked by addiction to alcohol. Of the 1,200 descendants that were studied, 300 died prematurely. You are living for more than just you. Who's seen This Is Us? Raise your hand. All right. It's a television series. It's it's, it's great. My kids got me introduced to it. I love it because they start in the present, and then they go in the past, and sometimes they fast forward to the future. Most recent episode. So, no, 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 <laughs> no. We, we, we did this in the first service. Uh, okay, did every, everyone saw about him the election, right? You up to that? Okay, you know the one about finding the uncle? Yes. yes. Raise your hand if you know that one. Okay, that's all I'm talking about, Okay. You're, I'll give you two seconds if you want to get up and leave the room. <laughs> I see a face over here. Did you see the one about the uncle? No? Do you want to leave? You're good? Okay. We're going to pray for her. Lord, may it be like she's watching it for the first time and didn't hear it on Sunday. May it even bring greater revelation than she would have got. Like, I wouldn't even have seen that if I hadn't heard it on Sunday. So, uh, in the past, the father... Uh, is, has gone to war. His brother also was drafted. Now, the younger brother, whew, terrified that he was drafted. They tried to figure out how to get out of him being drafted. He ends up there. He's a medic. He begins to OD uh, on meds or just abuse drugs. And the older brother has him shipped to his camp so he can care for him. Unsuccessful, trying hard to take care of his, his sibling. And um, his sibling doesn't like the Vietnamese. He talks bad about them all the time. He's like, we're here to serve these people. He just can't get through to his brother. Anyway, one day the brother's on a boat because a little boy befriends him, and he takes him fishing. So he takes a hand grenade, 
throws it in the water, blows all the fish out, so they're bringing, it's an easy way to catch fish. As soon as I saw that thing, I looked, Marianne, Marianne had already watched it. She was watching it again for me. I'm like, oh, I know it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. He takes another grenade out to do it again, but he loses his balance, drops the grenade, the pin's out, he can't get to it. So he's yelling to the boy, get the grenade or jump off the boat. Neither happens. The brother jumps off the boat, but the boy doesn't. An explosion is heard, and everybody knows what happened. The older brother officer comes running. What happened? Where's the boy? Where's the boy? Where's the boy? And he can't, the brother can't even speak. He can't believe that he's responsible for the death of this boy. It was accidental. The brother thought it was intentional because of all the comments he'd made ethnically about Vietnamese. So this creates a separation, dysfunction between the brothers. The older brother can't talk about his days with the war. So even in his relationship, as he's engaged to get married, every time they bring up war, he goes dark. There are points in your marriage or conversation like, why can't we go there? There's a pain in the past, and he's trying to start a new life, a new family, and I don't want to deal with that. You suppress it, but it's still with you. So the brother, he tells his family, my brother died at war, and his name is on the, Vietnam, the war, the, the memorial here in D.C., and so when he's there with one of his sons, Randall, or I think it was Randall, he says, let's go look at it. And he's like, no, I can't bear to look. It's not on the wall. And he didn't die in the war. Turns out CK, the brother, his real name is Nick. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Nick. But he goes by CK, Clark Kent. You got to watch it. Anyway, he's sending him postcards to his job and the brother won't respond. Finally, he sends a postcard to his home. Now he's upset. Because you're now entering my new life. You know when the old stuff tries to come back into your new life? So he drives to this trailer up in wherever it is, confronts his brother. I came here to tell you, don't send postcards to my house. I have a wife and kids, and it's hot tension. They haven't seen each other. They finally calm down. And then the younger brother is about to tell him, I have never, ever been able to get the thought out of my head of what happened that day, and it was an accident. Before he can say that, his brother's like, don't go there, Nick. Don't go there. I can't even talk about it. So he can't even apologize, and the truth isn't heard. And he leaves his brother in as much pain as they were before. He goes to this convenience store, and he comes out, and he's sitting there. And there's a sign that says, this way, back to where his brother is, that way toward home. It's hundreds of miles. He puts the left turn signal on. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. He's going to go reconcile with his brother. And then he turns it off and puts the right turn signal on. And he goes, right, and they never speak again. That's the past. Present day. One brother, what's his name? The one who does the Kevin. Y'all know all these names. Y'all good. What's Abraham's son's name? I'm saying. I'm just saying. What's God's son's name? Okay, okay. We got our bases covered. Make sure you know the names in the Bible better than the ones on TV. There's more drama in the Bible than you'll ever see on television. So here's what happens. Kevin wants to uncover what his dad never talked about. So he takes his girlfriend. They go to Vietnam. History's uncovered. Like, he didn't die here. He might be dead, but he didn't die in the war. That journey leads them to all three. Now, Kevin, Randall, and Kate. Kate. Don't be afraid to say it. It's good. Kate, they all go together. They find the trailer. They have a conversation with him. He tells them it was an accident. And he says, y'all got to go now. I can't even talk about all this stuff. So then they drive. They're pulling out the same convenient. And he puts on the turn signal, like, which way to go? 
And he goes left. I was sitting on my sofa. Yeah! The generations before you went right. But you can break the curse and go left. If you lean in with the Holy Spirit, if you allow him to bring up the stuff that's not good in our past, he's not bringing it up to shame you. He's not bringing it up to condemn you. He's bringing it up to deliver you so that you're not just a Christian, but that you're really all the way free. Don't be like that couple that went on a cruise ship. They got a free trip. They got on the boat. They were so excited. They brought their wine and cheese. They'd never been on a cruise together. And they, get, they go into their little room. You ever been in those little rooms? Not the ones on top. The ones, no window. Just a little room. It's this much space. How many know what I'm talking about? They stayed in their room the entire time. They missed everything else that was going on. They were on the boat, but didn't enjoy everything available to them. How many Christians are on the boat saved? but stuck in their room, not realizing everything that they're missing that's available to them because they haven't been willing to deal with the stuff in the past. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church or to watch video sermons, visit gracecovedc.org.